Whoever is listening, guys, welcome back and welcome to episode 146 of the Man with a Plan podcast. Today, we had back-to-back episodes with returning guests. Last week, it was Eric McLean of the ACC Network. And today, you guys may remember Andrew Jones from Tar Heel Illustrated over at UNC Rivals. Great episode we did over in our Clemson football preview series. Looking back on it, Andrew, actually, a lot we've said, especially on my side of things, have changed drastically with Clemson football, very different outlook. If you had told me in August when we recorded that, hey, Clemson's going to be six and four going against UNC, and there, there's no shot that they find their way back to Charlotte. So, Andrew Hall, how have you been, man? Welcome back to this podcast, man. But appreciate your time. Absolutely, Grayson. I appreciate you. And you're right. And in, in a month ago, if you would have told me that North Carolina is eight and two, and the fan base would be uh, marching around the Keenan Football Center with pitchforks and tor- torches. I wouldn't have believed you either. So both teams have interesting storylines that were a little unexpected. Yeah, a little. You mentioned protesting. Is that thing in Charlotte still happening with Carolina with the Panthers? I I heard I heard something about that, and I was like, "There's no <laughs> way it's that bad." Yeah. Uh, well, I I know that um, I know that North Carolina fans in in football anyway. T- to, for them to be, and this isn't all of them, but for a lot of them to be upset and have an eight and two team is truly one of the most 2023 things you can possibly imagine because <laughs> this wouldn't have happened before, but it has now. And I actually think it's a good thing because one of the things that Mac Brown needed to do when he took over this program was to make losses hurt. And Clemson fans understand exactly what I'm talking about. North Carolina basketball fans understand what I'm talking about. It's when you lose and it hurts. And it's a different kind of anger. And when you just accept it, you say, oh, that's who we are, and you move on, that means the expectations aren't that high and it doesn't matter as much. But the more a fan base hurts with a loss, the more it matters. That game matters and winning matters. And Mac has, has moved that needle in the right direction quite a bit since he took over. A lot of people won't acknowledge it, but it is true. And I think it's a fascinating thing to be front and center watching this unfold and how they react to the next couple of games, which are both very difficult games for North Carolina will also be a very interesting thing. They can win both. They can lose both. And I would imagine if they lose both my Twitter timeline, my Twitter feed is going to be (laughs) literally, literally on fire. You might have to tread lightly on the, the Twitter timeline. I feel like that's always the case though, with a, with Twitter, fans and the keyboard people it's just you have to always find a way to balance what you're saying and it's it's difficult sometimes but for just looking at this matchup and I think there's both common themes with Clemson and North Carolina is there have been losses this year that have really hurt whether that's Virginia with North Carolina or an overtime loss in Miami against a backup true freshman quarterback or on the road against MJ Morris and NC State who is apparently not even playing the rest of the way with the red shirt uh, over with the Wolf Pack, but Andrew, when you look at Clemson, just from when we've done our crossover piece, you can check that out on their site, and we're gonna have this podcast up wherever you get your podcast. But when you look at Clemson, six and four, last two games, it really has been their best brand of football, which really, in my mind, make the last, the first eight games maybe for a fan, it's incredibly frustrating. For me, it's incredibly puzzling because you always felt like the team was hiding around there somewhere, but turnovers, the simple execution. It just felt like it hasn't really clicked up until November for Clemson. 
I like to, I like to look at seasons. Every season is a process in all sports that I cover. And because a team plays a certain way at the end of the year, doesn't mean they should have played that way early in the year because they have to have a process in getting to that point. And with Clemson, you know, just watch going back and thinking about the Duke game, which I've, I've thought about a lot because I really think other than that game, Clemson very well could have won the rest of the games it's played. It was, that was just a horrible performance in many, many respects, but they were still trying to find the, the, the program was still trying to find itself. The team was trying to find itself for a while. And, and I think that the loss to FSU, and this is from my distant, my 30,000 foot uh, a view of Clemson football this year, the FSU loss probably set them back a little bit. That was one of those things that they played well enough to win really outplayed FSU, but mistakes cost them again, just like it did in Raleigh and other places. And they found a way to lose that game. And it really smarted and I think took a while for them to recover. And then all of a sudden what happens at Miami happens and then NC state where they had 202 yards of offense and still won the game because they had a pick six and they had another interception that set up another score. So the last two weeks, Clemson has been clean. And I, I think it goes back to Tyler from Greenville, right? Because (laughs) I loved what Dabo said. I love the passion I loved how genuine what he said was, and he's going to offend his damn program. He should. He's got every right in the world to. And then what he said on the field after Notre Dame reminded me of his rant after they beat Auburn in 2011. I was actually covering a lot of Clemson stuff back then when I was with Fox Sports, and that was a that was a very pivotal pivotal moment in the Dabo era early on. The first real big win they got, they got a lot of national attention he's on the field with the abc reporter afterwards screaming his head off about stuff and he did it after notre dame so i tend to think that a lot of the stuff that was ailing clemson psychologically earlier might be gone and they're playing with it with a freedom they know that they're not going to win 10 games they they know a lot of these streaks are over with and there's sort of a freedom that they're playing with now and the message coming out of the keenan football center in chapel hill this week is clemson is now playing like the cfp team we've seen before Absolutely. And that's the way North Carolina is treating the Tigers. And that's why people shouldn't be surprised that Clemson's a touchdown favorite in this game. It should be, because if all things were normal, this is a pretty good UNC team. Clemson would be at least a touchdown favorite going into this game. So I think it's really I think it's really interesting. I think it's a fascinating case where the team with eight wins is trending a little bit the wrong way, and the team with six wins is trending the right way. It's really interesting the way you put that about a process because you saw it in spurts in that first eight games. You saw moments of brilliance, whether it was for me, it was Klubnik hanging on in, in the pocket and getting drilled by Florida State defensive end, finding Bringstool for a first down. It wasn't a touchdown, but it was like, okay, there's a moment there of development or maybe particular defensive play here, defensive play there. But it just felt like yeah. once things were clean, as you mentioned, and I love how you you added that the, it felt like the perfect storm with the Tyler from Spartanburg, which will live infamously in Clemson's history for as long as Dabo Sweeney remains the Clemson head coach. But it wasn't just the Tyler from Spartanburg thing that fascinated me because we were, we were waiting. And I think everyone expected because usually he gets off the bus and it's amped up. He's getting the crowd into it. It was very businesslike. It was subdued. It was calm. Yeah. You're thinking, okay, something's changed here. And so I'm really looking forward to these last few games to see how it goes. But when it comes to UNC, the thing that obviously sticks out is Drake May, top five draft pick in the NFL, one of the best quarterbacks in not just the ACC, but college football. But something I really have been dying to ask you, Andrew, really have been, is the process with Tez Walker 
and just the drama-filled saga early on in September. What has his story been like, and how has he really immersed himself within this UNC just community? Because that was really one thing where I was thinking, I can't believe he's not on the field, but once he finally got on there, it was an incredible story, and it's been really nice to see him have that opportunity at this Division One level. I, I think that this is a, this, we're going to look back on this this season. There are going to be many, many prongs that you can focus on and, and write really good stories about or tell really good stories about. And the Tez Walker one might be the most interesting simply because before he was cleared, he was the most popular North Carolina football player to have never stepped on a field. And, and his popularity was so high that it, it would match any basketball player currently in North Carolina. The only guy it wouldn't match would be, uh, Drake May, who is the most popular athlete at UNC right now by far. So I, I think that how he handled it, how his teammates, like, let, me, let me back up for a second. When we started, when Mac on August 8th came and talked to us after practice, we weren't supposed to get him that day. And he came and talked to us and told us what was going on. And they were talking about Tez, like, like he's the most amazing guy. And I had talked to Tez twice before that in January and then during spring practice. And they're talking about him like he's just this incredible kid that everybody loves. And that's an easy pitch. And I and I do think North Carolina was trying to appeal to the heartstrings, the emotional heartstrings of the Carolina fan base and beyond, and even the media, to generate support uh, for Tez, which would make it more difficult for the NCAA to keep saying no. And it worked. It partly worked. But once we started to hear stories about how Tez was handling things and the things that he was doing as far as volunteering to play on the, on the scout team when he didn't need to. And then we started talking to Tez. It all made sense. He really is the guy that they said he was. And that's not always the case in athletics. The coaches like to butter stuff up and he really is the guy that they said he was. And Oh, by the way, he's a damn good player. He backs it up on the field. He probably won't go pro this year, even though he could, but he wants he you know he needs more uh, power five stuff on film. He needs to go through a full season. The, the league will need to see that to trust him more, and that's that's fine. He'll have a he'll, they'll go out and get a really good quarterback in the portal. He'll have another good guy throwing the ball to him next year, and it's good for UNC that he'll be back. But I think from a personal standpoint for him, given where he was in September to where he is right now it's a remarkable remarkable story now the team has actually not played as well since he came back their best football ended at the end of the third quarter with Miami he had played in a couple of games there they haven't been very good since the end of the third quarter against Miami uh, but they have him and because they have him Drake can go over the top I think Drake Drake's been better since Ted's came back the run game's been better because defenses cannot keep uh, just one set of eyes on each wide receiver. They need three sets of eyes on Tez. He, he kind of keeps the safeties at bay a little bit. They don't come up and play the run as quickly. So Marion Hampton's getting seven yards instead of four on certain cracks now. So his effect on the offense uh, is everywhere. Absolutely. And I think it's always the thing I hear all the time about guys like Tez Walker is that you need a player like that, that keeps the defensive coordinator a little bit, unable to sleep at night then maybe he's in the team hotel the night before and it's like man how are we going to cover him we maybe need to shade a safety over there and it really opens things up for an offense and for a quarterback like drake may it only magnifies it because he's already talented enough on his own yeah it opens the middle of the field a little bit more you've seen carolina have a lot more success they were having they had success throwing the tight ends before but using a guy like bryson nesbitt who can run receiver routes 
And with Kobe Pesor out, he's had to play some receiver, but it opens up the middle of that field more. And also for the quarterback draw. So if Tez is running around and, and Omarion Hampton, who caught eight passes in the last game, he has to be defended. And you saw Carolina in the Duke game run several quarterback draws. In fact, the touchdown or the, or the two-point conversion that they got to seal the game, essentially, that was a quarterback draw that Drake stopped and made the throw. Uh, they did have a lineman downfield. It probably should have been flagged, but it wasn't. But nevertheless, the middle of the field was there, and Drake used it to make that play. So it's been there more since Tez came back than it was previously, for sure. Yeah, I think most people probably switched over to that Duke-UNC game because that almost Georgia game that everyone was so excited about ended up being the stinker of the week. So lots of eyes on that one. And so, Andrew, can you take me through – and you mentioned how UNC's football, they may not be trending the right way. What has it really been about this UNC squad? They're still putting up a lot of points, and obviously they're going to with the offense that they currently possess. What's not clicking for this Tar Heel squad? I would say the most puzzling thing about this season is that through the first six games, including Miami being the sixth game, that they did a, an amazing job of making in-game adjustments. They sometimes they would struggle in the first quarter and then they would figure something out. And with an older veteran defense, they got a bunch of college graduates on defense, bunch of fourth year guys over there, smart kids. They, they had great communication from the staff to the kids and leadership. And they would put the kibosh or whatever wasn't working and they would close games out. They had a long stretch there for a while where they weren't giving up touchdowns in the second half at all, at all. And then in the Miami game, Miami had a really good second quarter. Gene Chizik changed some things. The third quarter defensively was the most physical I've seen North Carolina play on defense since the Butch Davis era. I mean, that was high-level stuff. That was that was the quarter. I did a national radio show the next day, and they asked me about CFP. That's the quarter that they look like a CFP team. And then in the fourth quarter, they had a decent lead over Miami. Miami started chucking it. And Tyler Van Dyke, who has been wildly inconsistent this year, threw for 173 yards in the quarter. And then the next week, Virginia went tempo in the fourth quarter and overcame a 10-point deficit and won the game. The week later, Georgia Tech goes high-speed tempo in the fourth quarter. They overcome an 11-point deficit and win the game. So Duke ends up doing the same thing. Duke had 142 yards in the first three quarters. 209 in the fourth and 22 points. So in the last four games against ACC opponents, North Carolina, and this is the equivalent of one game, Grayson, <laughs> the, the North Carolina defense has allowed 65 points, 790 wow. yards, and 39 first downs. Goodness, so wow. other than the second quarter of Georgia Tech, they've been really good otherwise, but they have just fallen over a cliff in the fourth quarter asking Gene Chizik and Mac Brown about this week. Gene says they're not executing their missing tackles. Uh, Cedric Gray, the leader on the defense, a guy who could be a first-round pick, said, you know, teams are sort of catching on to what we're doing. So whatever adjustments that we're making before, they're not making now. Mac Brown said, well, I think we're a little bit fatigued. But they're playing a ton of guys on defense. They're just not subbing at linebacker. They're subbing everywhere else. So you get three different answers there, which means I'm not sure they know exactly what the problem is or how to fix it. Yeah, with the UNCD, I think with UNC's offense is really equipped to win those shootouts, but every week when you're having to put up 40-plus points per game, sometimes it's just not going to fall through to get that kind of win. It's not a really sustainable way to win football games, even with a high-powered offense like UNC. 
but they and they weren't having to win. They were pounding people for a while. They were really good. The, the day the day after the Miami game, they're six zero. They move up to number ten in the country, and they were legitimately in the discussion for finding a way to get into the CFP. And it wasn't really sneaking their way in. They looked like a club that could very well go twelve and zero. They all the parts were working. Now they have had issues on special teams, which crept up again this past week. Other than place kicker. Uh, and the kickoff specials, they get a lot of touchbacks. The rest of the special teams have had lots of ugly stuff this year. They've had a couple of punts blocked. They've allowed uh, fake punts converted. They've allowed two onside kicks to be recovered. Uh, a couple of times they've muffed kickoffs. They've Opponents have muffed pooch kicks that they didn't fall, that Carolina didn't fall on. So a lot of stuff's not worked out there, and it's consistently been an issue. But everything else was looking pretty good. But And, and even if you were to get a point per good defensive quarter and lose a point per bad defensive quarter, they have a lot of points the last few games. It's just in the fourth quarter, they completely implode. And I think the common thread is Miami was behind. Duke, uh, Virginia was behind. Georgia tech was behind. Duke was behind and they went tempo. They sped up and Caroline's defense wasn't able to sub as much. So sometimes they had some personnel groupings that maybe they would not want because they're so situational on defense. And maybe the fact that, that they are so situational on defense that some guys can't handle certain things as well as other players and they hadn't been asked to do it as much because they sub so often on defense. I think they got caught in some bad, bad situations there and did not handle it well. But the tempo to me is the common thread. So if Clemson goes tempo, and really goes tempo at some point, I think the Tigers will have an advantage because they can run inside. If you can run inside when you go tempo, you've got a huge advantage. Georgia Tech ran for 246 yards in the fourth quarter. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, Virginia ran the ball. Virginia went tempo and they ran the ball. Duke had good runs. Duke had a third quarter true freshman, third string, uh, or a third string true freshman quarterback rack up 209 yards in the fourth quarter against them. It's a lot of oh, it's uh, this, puzzling. It's that in-game situation, really, for UNC that's caused them some trouble. But when you look at this Clemson matchup, Andrew, what's really what was the first thing? Maybe it's like okay, it's it's it. That got to travel over to Death Valley. The last time Clemson UNC played, yeah, it was a lopsided score, but there was a couple red zone situations, like the blocked kid or blocked kick or the Nate Wiggins pick six. So there were a couple things. If they don't swing Clemson's way, it's probably a closer score. What were the initial impressions when looking at this Clemson team and what matchups are you looking for from your side and your perspective that maybe the Tar Heels can attack and find success? Well, I do a five keys for UNC to defeat whoever, whatever opponent is that week, every week. And the first one here is stop the ground game. Because I think when you look at Clemson and how different Clemson is, film off has been really good the last couple of weeks and, and they run powerfully. So the offensive line, uh, Miles Murphy, defensive tackle at Carolina, who we had some fun with, by the way, because he said that when he was being recruited, uh, a coach called him thinking he was the other Miles Murphy, the one that went to Clemson. <laughs> so that was actually pretty fun. Uh, he said that Clemson's offensive line is doing a better job firing off the ball. So they're getting good pad level quickly. They're they're winning a lot of those battles in the trenches uh, on the snap. And then Moffa has been really good. I mean, he ran for almost 200 yards against Notre Dame. So that has Carolina's attention. They know that they're going to have to be physical. They're going to have to be really good at the line of scrimmage on the snap. And I would say Clemson has an advantage there. 
North Carolina had been playing well at the line of scrimmage, but even in some of these stretches where they're not giving up points, they're still giving up first downs. They're still getting beaten at the line of scrimmage more than they should. It's been a head scratcher for a lot of people. And I think Clemson will have an advantage there. It, it, it just depends on how well Carolina has, uh, makes their fits, how physical the Tar Heels are. They need to be physical like they were in the third quarter against Miami to have a chance to win this game because Clemson's going to be on Clemson's going to be on fire. They're, they're going to be ready to roll in this game. It's a big game. It's the last home game. And the Tigers have a chance to close really strong. If they could beat North Carolina with Drake May and Omari and Hampton and then go win it at uh, South Carolina, you're talking closing with four wins, one of them being Notre Dame, another one being Drake May, another one being the Gamecocks. And then if we won nine and four with this kind of year, if you win a bowl game, that's a heck of a year for Clemson. And I'm sure that that's something Dabo can build on. So this is a very important game for them. As far as Carolina, they have to prove to themselves they can beat a, a really good team this time of year, especially away from home. Something yeah. that, that didn't happen a year ago. They struggled late last year. So this is an opportunity for them to change the narrative of their season. All those people that are negative, and there are many that are, this is an opportunity. If they go in there and they win a game and they don't follow some of the recent trends and they kind of bow up on that stuff, I think they can shift the narrative. It'll get them to nine wins, give them a chance to win 10 in the regular season, which doesn't happen a whole lot in Chapel Hill. And it would give Mac an opportunity to stand up there on Monday with a little bit of the last laugh, which I think he would love to do because they hear it too. It's head scratching when you think that an eight and two North Carolina team is being pilloried by the fan base, but that's what's happening right now. And I think it would be kind of neat if Mac were to talk to us after they win a 10th game and say, huh, I wonder what everybody's saying now, because <laughs> I think oh, he man. will. He likes to he likes to needle it a little bit. Yeah, so does so does our guy over here with uh with Dabo. Yeah. Every chance he gets, it's like a little bit of a got to pick up on it. But and the relationship, I love that, and I love that about him. I I love that about him. when I first when I was at Fox around in Dabo's early years, I covered a lot of Clemson stuff, and I remember sitting around him at the, the ACC kickoff when. You're you're young and you weren't around then, but talk to talk to Larry, some of the older guys. When we used to have just on round tables, and a coach would sit there and you'd sit at the table talking. And I remember hanging out with Dabo for about a half hour one time. It was one it was one of the times he told the Dat Boy story, how he how he became Dabo. But just just the way that he could even needle stuff back then, when he was not nearly as secure a guy and head coach as he is now, I always thought was fascinating. And now. You know, the way he handled that call and all, I love stuff like that. I think Clemson fans probably love it. I would think that they love it too, because he's got their back, man. He's a Clemson dude. He's got their back. And I think it's pretty cool to see him stand up for himself for what he's done. And Mac does that stuff too. These are competitive dudes, man. They're, Mac, he's got that grandfatherly kind of thing going on. He's nice to everybody. He remembers everyone's name. He shakes everyone's hand, but he is one competitive dude you don't get to the hall of fame you don't have his kind of success like he's had if you're not ultra competitive and that's what i like about both those men and and i think and they both like each other a lot by the way they both like each other a lot Dabo, when he was early in his career went to, took his staff to austin and learned a lot of stuff from mac there when mac came back he called on Dabo, said i want to model my program after the way Dabo is building it in the modern way and they have slowly done that. They haven't obviously done it to Clemson's level, but as a program as a whole, it's it's hard to ignore 
the trajectory that Mac has taken this thing in five years. Absolutely. North Carolina comes more of a more recognizable brands, not just known as the basketball school sometimes. Yeah. And I think when you got a guy, obviously like Drake may leading the charge, it's fascinating in any other draft really. And you might agree or disagree in any other draft with that's not named Caleb Williams at the uh, top of the uh, pecking order there. I think May's probably a good, a good chance or a good bet to be probably the number one pick in this draft. Uh, but what have you so. really, what have you really seen from him this year in terms of improvement or growth? You talked, we talked in August and I think I asked a question of where can he improve? And it's like, well, he doesn't have really much to do because he's already at such a high level, but are there any like maybe small things that you're seeing from him this year that just show signs of growth and maturity and how will he play a role within this Clemson game? It's a hostile environment. The last two games for Clemson, they've really made life for Sam Hartman and Haynes King where Kings really had a career renaissance over at Georgia tech. They really made life yeah. miserable and it starts with forcing turnovers with this tire team. I think the number was 14 heading into November and they forced seven with the uh, last two games. So that's going to really be a matchup for me, but for may, what has it been like covering something like what is it like covering a figure like him in the sport? And then what can he do with Clemson this Saturday? Well, he is clearly uh, the epitome of an aw shucks golly guy. He says <laughs> golly in, in press conferences and I asked Cedric Gray about a month ago after Drake said golly twice in a post-game presser I went over to Cedric he was the last guy we talked to I, I gotta ask you I said does he say golly around you guys too it's like oh yeah he says golly around us too he says and he says dang instead of damn so he's that kind of guy and I think because he's like that he's really grounded in who he is he's unflappable he's supremely confident uh, there, there. He's an emo more emotional, louder, vibrant, uh, visual leader than than Sam Howell was. But within that, he's very even keeled at all times. Whether things are going right, whether things are going wrong, as far as how he's improved this year, the game management has been NFL stuff. The checkdowns, the taking the six play six yard play instead of trying to get the twenty yard play. He's shown a lot of maturity and growth in those areas, and also with the run game. You know, a lot of the stuff that they do, they're different RPOs than they did under Phil Longo. A lot of that stuff was almost right after the snap in some respects. Now he's making a lot of those, those decisions well before the snap. And there are drives where he'll just give it to Omarion, give it to Omarion, give it to Omarion. It's about getting the ball into the end zone. And great NFL quarterbacks have a lot of games in their history. They throw for 160 yards. They don't have to throw for 350 every week. Now, Drake's lowest game is 202 in his career as a starter, but he's had those stretches where it's not about him. It's about whatever's working. So he's managing the game really, really well. And then, of course, the improvising, the left-handed pass against Pittsburgh, the play he made with the two-point conversion the other day. You watch him for you watch him take 80 snaps in a game, you're going to see four or five things that he does that other guys just don't do. And then he does all the basic stuff at an exceptionally high level. So I don't think the environment isn't going to phase him. The environment will inspire him this week. He'll handle that just fine. I think the key is how does Carolina protect him? If he gets protection, and he has a chance to go through his reads and move and improvise, he's going to have a big game. He can have a big game and North Carolina still lose. I think the key for North Carolina is Amarian Hampton establishing him. He has five straight games with 100-plus yards. He's run for like 760 in those five games. He's He goes 197 against Miami, against that defense. He goes 169 against Duke's defense, which is a very good defense, as Clemson fans know. 
So I think the key is running with him. And if he runs the ball well, and they have success on those inside runs, it opens up a lot of stuff for Drake. And the Tar Heels will move the ball and score. My biggest question in this game, with Clemson gaining confidence and with the run game they have, and remember Cade Klubnick's breakout game was against this defense last year, that I, I think that the Tar Heels are going to have some trouble stopping what should be a pretty balanced Clemson attack led by the ground game. I don't think North, the offense will lose the game for North Carolina, but I do think defense or a special team snafu can. Yeah, in a season like this, especially on Clemson's side, I think there was a moment in the Notre Dame game, and Hartman had just thrown an interception to Kylan Griffin, and everyone's going nuts, thinking the game's over. And I just turn over to somebody. I think it was I think it was Larry, and I said, "Knowing Clemson, this isn't over." And two plays later, Mafa fumbles the ball, and Notre Dame has another shot at it. And it's like, well, there it is. But I think in a game like this, it really is going to come down to ball security. They survived, but yes. they survived. Survive in advance. And sometimes you have to survive something. You know, it's funny you say survive in advance. I was thinking earlier when you were talking about when you responded to what I said about process. If this were a, if there was an NCAA tournament for football where a bunch of teams get in, Clemson be, would be one of those sneaky teams where you would say, okay, there's a nine seed that you could see getting to the Elite Eight, that kind of thing. Because that because of their early season, how they performed, like in basketball, you see 10 lost teams get to the Final Four. I covered one a couple of years ago, a North Carolina team that was a nine seed or yeah, an eight seed or nine seed that got to a Final Four. Clemson would kind of fit that description, which is why it's so important just because they're not playing for any kind of banners to, to keep getting better because that stuff will springboard into next year especially if Dabo goes ahead and accepts the fact that the portal is out there and he can really use it to his advantage. If he does that, then they'll get well quickly. And and this, the way they close the season will help them in that, by the way. Yeah, and there's that uh, infamous P word that people are love throwing around here at, uh, around in this area. But uh, Andrew, just one more question. Maybe this is something that you're going to be keeping for your rival subscribers, but do you have maybe a score prediction or just like any more final and parting thoughts on this game? You know, I've waffled between Clemson by, you know, four or five to Clemson by 15. I, what I've seen from Carolina's defense the last four weeks, and I cover every game and I chart every play and I'm needing the numbers and what I see constantly. And I don't, I don't, I can understand why Carolina fans are upset because I don't know how they have a lot of confidence in the defense at this point. The defense has largely been pretty good. When you get, when you look at PFF on Sunday, there are a lot of guys that grade out well because for three quarters, the as a unit, they play well. And then some guys can still play well when you're giving up a lot of yards. And it's just other guys that break down. It's just one or two guys that make a mistake that changes the way a defense looks. So I don't have a great deal of confidence that North Carolina's defense can blow up for four quarters. And especially because I think Clemson's offense is finding something. You got the got got the the first year coordinator. He didn't have the same parts he had last year at TCU. Maybe didn't have that same need. TCU's defense gave up a lot of points. They had to score a lot of points. Clemson's defense doesn't give up a lot of points, so you could maybe be a little bit more conservative offensively to not lose games with your offense, and which I think has probably happened a couple of times this year. But I think Clemson's reached a point where you might see the offense just continue to sort of do a lot of things. It, its growth will show. And because of that, I think the Tigers are going to win. And I think they're going to score well into the 30s and get a win because you, you're going to have to score well into the 30s to beat Drake May. 
as good as Clemson's defense is, and Drake, when I asked Drake about how all three levels, you know, how good is this unit? He says they're excellent at all three levels the same. It's it's not a defense that you find an area you can exploit. You just simply have to win battles. And they'll win some battles and they'll score because Drake is outstanding and Tez and Omarion are outstanding. But Clemson will Clemson will have a pretty good game. I bet you Klubnik goes for 250 plus in this game. And a big reason why is because Clemson will have some success running inside. And the Tigers will go for 400 yards and they'll win this thing something like 38-30 in that range. I have not formally done my actual pick that my readers will read, but I will pick Clemson to win the game. Sounds good. And you heard it first here from Andrew, and this podcast will drop on Friday morning. I'll link Tar Heel Illustrated, the Twitter, the Rivals page down below, so you can go check out Andrew's work and all the great stuff we do within this Rivals network. But guys, that'll wrap up episode 146 of the Man with the Plan podcast. Hopefully this is the return of more consistent weekly episodes as football season starts to simmer down just a little bit. But thank you guys always for tuning in. Make sure to check out everything in the description. Hit all the buttons, subscribe, like, comment. You guys know the drill at this point. And thank you for having, just thank you for tuning in if you're listening up to this point. And have a great day.